part of the series, Rise Up, as I've been telling you that my great creative ideas of titling it to each one, this is part six. But if I would name it, I would say, can these dry bones live? Now, I'm going to start off by asking you a question. What was the legacy of the 12 disciples? Was it their background as fishermen, tax collectors? Even one of them was a physician. I don't think so. Was it how they died, their legacy? I mean, they were stoned, crucified, speared, beaten to death, beheaded, but I don't think so. What did these men actually do to create that legacy? They took that gospel to the ends of the earth. You see, Paul took it to Greece, Peter to Rome. Paul also took it to Turkey. Andrew took it to the Soviet Union. Bartholomew, he took it to Armenia. He also to Iran. And Thaddeus, he took it to Beirut. Philip, he took it to North Africa. Peter again took it to Egypt, and, and James took it to, to Jerusalem, and, and Thomas, he took it to furthest. He took it to India. See, see, what these men did is that they shared the gospel. It was not how they died, but it's how they lived. Revelations 12, verse 10 and 11 says this, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him. And they overcame him. This is during the tribulation period. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimonies. And they loved not their lives until death. I want you to understand, if they were able to make it through the tribulation period by proclaiming the blood of Christ, that 144,000, do you know what they were doing? These Jews were out preaching during the tribulation period. They were declaring Christ crucified. You see, it is the blood of Christ. Our success and victory in this life depends upon that vital living, that revelation of the power of the blood of Christ within our lives. And if you're ever going to enjoy that very fullness that benefit of Christ, it can't happen until we give the blood of Christ its rightful place within our life. First Peter 1.18 says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations, received by tradition by the, your father's butt with the precious blood of Christ as the lamb without blemish and without spot. Hebrews, it says this, Hebrews 9, 22, 
and almost all things of the law purge with blood. And without the shedding of blood is no remission. There's something about the blood of Christ. And, and if, you, if you don't get it yet, let me give you nine spiritual wonders of who we are through the blood of Christ. It's our salvation in Ephesians 1, 7. In whom we have redemption through the blood, uh, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Our peace. Colossians 1, 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. What about our access to the very presence of God? Hebrews 10, 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath um, consecrated for us, through the veil that is to say his flesh. What about our deliverance? Is as for though thee also by the blood of the covenant I have set forth thy prisoners out of the pit where, wherein is no water or clear conscience. It's nice to have that these days. In Hebrews 9, 14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve a living God? What about our present cleansing? You see, because this is a daily walk. The apostle Paul says, I die daily unto him. Because we know there's that battle between the spirit and the flesh. And in 1 John 7, uh, 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Not some, not the top three, all sins are protection. In Exodus 12, 13. And the blood shall be to you as a token unto the, um, the horses where they are, the houses where they are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you. And I will, and I will smit the land of Egypt. You know, what I love about the blood of Christ Number eight, there's healing in the blood of Christ. When we partake of this communion, that, that wafer symbolizes the body of Christ. And Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says, Surely he hath bore our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken um, and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Amen to that. 
1 Peter 2.24 says, Who has his own bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. And finally, the source of the Christian life. In John 6.56, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwells in me and I in them. And we do know that symbolic. It is that symbol of the blood in the body of Christ. Now, it may sound a little bit old-fashioned, but I'm one of those believers that believes that there's still power in the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. These disciples may have thought that their life was absolutely over when Jesus was crucified. They only needed to remember that God still brings life into our spiritually dry bones. That's why I want to speak to you just for a few moments out of Ezekiel, the 37th chapter, verses 1 through 3. And the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them around about. And behold, there was very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. You know, as I, as I carry on through this series of rising up, on this Good Friday, I'm going to talk to you about this amazing story. In 586 B.C., Jerusalem was totally ruined in that by Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian army. Solomon's temple, which stood for 400 years, the pride of Israel was left to reduce to ashes. All the inhabitants of Jerusalem was taken into captivity. All the prophets, Ezekiel, who meant his name means God strengthens, was probably the most, well, familiar. He would cry and wail and slap his thighs when he would be speaking. In the vision, he even ate a scroll. He did so many things to be able to burn that message into people's hearts and their minds. Historians tell us that Ezekiel probably was around 25 years old at this time when he's taken into captivity. As a young man growing up with a father who served as a zodiac priest in the temple, that he knew that that's all that there was. He had this, this insight of what it meant to be able to serve God. His whole life, he was being prepared to do this. Up to his 25th year, he was looking forward to that time where he would be able to step in the same footprints of his father. The Jewish law says that a man would be able to enter into the priesthood at the age of 30. And Ezekiel 1.1 says this, And it came to pass in the 13th year of the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, I was among the captive by the river of Jabbar, 
Now, I don't want you to miss the significance in it. The Living Translation, the Living Bible says this, and one day late in June, when I was 30 years old, Ezekiel, when he was 25 years old, hoping that someday that he would be able to walk up those temple steps, to be able to follow in his father's footsteps. And at the age of 30 now, that he was not where he wished he would have been. He was taken into captivity. No longer would he be able to serve where his father served. In fact, the temple was not even there, was left in shambles. Undoubtedly, he had this, this great plans and dreams of what would happen in his life as he'd be able to follow into his father's footsteps. But that wasn't to be. He was in captivity. But Sunday's coming. God had a plan. He had not misplaced Ezekiel. He had not lost track to where he was. Where, where did he put him? Where, where is he at now? Who took him? Ezekiel was not there because of some strange fate. When we look at Ezekiel 1, we see this. And now, it came about in the 13th year and the thir- fifth day of the fourth month while I was the, by the river Chabar among the exiles, and heavens, the heavens were opened, and I saw a vision of God. While he was in captivity, when he thought that he would never be able to follow in the footsteps of his father, never be able to declare the mighty works of God. In captivity, the heavens opened up. In verse 3, And the word of the Lord came expressively to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Jabbar, And there the hand of the Lord came upon him. God knew exactly where he was. He didn't have to be able to wish he could walk up those marble steps of the temple to minister. He may even felt that he would never experience that power of God because, after all, he was in captivity. But it was there. The scripture says it was there that the hand of the Lord came upon him. It was there by the river of Jabbar. It was there in the Babylonian empire that the heavens opened and he saw the vision of God. It was there, perhaps in the very darkest moments of his life. It was there when it seemed like all hope was gone. It was there in that hour of crisis that the word of the Lord came. I'm sure that on that dark day called Good Friday, God was there. May I tell you this evening, too, wherever you are in your life, whatever you are going through in your life, it may be 
of Friday. The God is there for he says that he will never leave you nor will he ever forsaken you. Undoubtedly, that these, this Hebrew man, Ezekiel, thought it was the darkest moment of his life. That his life was over. He's in captivity. Never returned to the freedom that he once had. And I'm sure that the disciples felt that way on that Good Friday as well. Because when Christ died, I'm sure part of them died as well. Ezekiel must have become, well, thought that he was among the corpse when you saw the vision of that valley of dry bones. And I'm sure that the disciples thought that they, the end of their ministry, was dead when Christ was crucified. But what I love about his work, and I've used a lot of scripture here this, this evening because I want you to embrace his word for what it says. For he tells us out of Isaiah 61, verse 3. He says this, Give unto them beauty for ashes, oil of joy for the morning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. We find scripture that gives testimony that comes out of the darkness, even out of the graveyard of those dry bones and out of the graveyard itself of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because you see, it's Friday, and God has a plan. He tells us in Ezekiel 37, 3 from the Living Bible, Son of man, can these bones become people again? I, I think that when that was spoken to Ezekiel, it was more than just challenging him in his thought life or his spiritual life. But I think it was all of a sudden a glimmer of hope. Why would Almighty God be saying to him, can these bones be risen again? Can they come to life? I think by asking that question, something started to stir within him. And he said, Lord, you alone know the answer of that. And yes, indeed, God had an answer. Because you see, even though it was Friday, he had a plan. Ezekiel 37 not only shows us that hopelessness of the plight of Ezekiel, but also shows us the blessedness of a plan that God has. Yes, 2020 may have been one of the most driest moments, the most challenging moments in our life in the life of the church as well. But I want you to understand something, is that God has a plan. In pastoring this church for 21 years now, I have never been more excited coming out of 2020, not because it is over, but because of the revelation knowledge of what God has given me in directing this church and being a discipleship church. 
I believe that God has something so absolutely incredible that it will impact this church and the body of Christ and the community around us, your families, your neighbors, our city, our state, our country, our world, and what he's about to be revealing to us in the next several weeks as I share these things with you. Because, you see, with God, all things are possible. It is possible that those scattered, very dry bones that were in a heap in that valley can live again. Can these bones live again? Well, we're thinking, well, we know the story, but we're thinking, how can that be? God, when you read this scripture, God has a twofold plan that he wants us to understand on this Good Friday. Listen to God's response to Ezekiel in verse 4. Then he told me to speak to the bones and say, Oh, dry bones, listen to the word of God. Plan number one, the word of God. Life comes through his word. His word will bring change in a person's life. It will bring change into an individual, into a church, into a community, into a nation, into a world. Verse 7, we see the results of that word. And so I spoke those these words of God just as he told me. Now listen, church. Don't water that word down. Don't try to improve upon it. Don't try to rationalize it. Don't feel that you have to apologize for it. And don't be timid with it. Simply speak the word of God just as it has been spoken to us in love and in compassion. In love, I speak that word in love because I love you. I love this world. I love the sinner. I speak it with compassion because he loved me. He died for me. He rose me out of the dryness of my life. You see, it's not our word. It's her word, his word. It didn't originate in the minds of man. It originated in the mind of God. We don't call it the word of Pastor Tom. We call it the word of the Lord. But I said to you that there's a twofold plan because we must, we cannot get away from that word. When Jesus was in the wilderness and he was, the, was being tempted, he said, thus saith the word. Why did he say that? I often thought if I was Jesus, I wouldn't just say, thus saith the word. I would have looked at him and said, you're talking to me? You slimy snake. You talking to me? But he wanted us to know that there is power in the word of God. So that very first ingredient is his word. The second is found in verse 9. Then he told me to call 
to the winds and say, the Lord God says, come from the four winds, O Spirit, and breathe upon these slain bodies that they might live. Listen to me, church. Make no mistake about it. If our goal is to see the spiritual dryness of America to be risen up, it will take a divine wind of the Holy Spirit blowing across this nation. He must come and breathe once again on the church, on our land, on our world. This is what Ezekiel was trying to tell us in verses 7 and 8 when he said, suddenly there was a rattling. Noises from across the valley and the bones of each body came together and attached to each other as they used to be. Man, would Steven Spielberg like to have that vision, huh? Then, as I watched the muscles and the flesh form over those bones and the skin cover them, but the bodies had no breath. They looked alive, but they were not. It reminds me of the scripture in 2 Timothy 3, 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. It is still as it was in the days of Ezekiel. It is still in the days of our life in this 21st century. It is through the power of the blood of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as he blows a wind across us. May I tell you that all of our efforts in working and building a kingdom of God is absolutely useless no matter how grand they may be, no matter how excited that we may be about it. But without the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon it, it will fail. That's why we sing, Come Holy Spirit, we need thee. Come sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in thy strength and thy power come in thy own special way. I believe that the disciples thought they were as dry bones in Ezekiel's day on that Good Friday. However, it is Friday, but Sunday is coming. And when those disciples began to sense for those, well, 50 days, something was going on. They were told to gather together in a city called Jerusalem. Of all places, why would he want, God want, want the disciples to go there? There was, it was so busy, packed, so many people, so many distractions. I believe he's saying through all the distractions, what was going on in the city of Jerusalem, God could move. And when they came to that place of unity, there came the winds of his spirit that blew across those disciples that changed their course of their life. 
and their lives became a legacy of the stories of what Christ has done. It was through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the blood of Christ. And I'm telling you this evening, church, if we are to have those stories, to be those overcomers, to be able to defeat the enemy of our soul, we as a body of Christ, we need to believe that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimonies, and they love not their lies until death. It's Friday, but Sunday is coming. He rose those dry bones to life by speaking the word of the Lord into them. And by the power of the breath of the Holy Spirit coming from the north, east, south, and west, blowing across those bodies, and they rose up as a mighty army. Those disciples came to that place that when they thought that their life, their ministry has come to an end, they were in hiding. But Sunday was coming. Pentecost was coming and the winds of the Spirit were blowing. We may feel that we live in a chaotic world like we have never seen before. And you may be absolutely right. I've never seen a time like this. I've never seen an attack upon the church as it has been in this past year and a half. But I want you to understand, it may have felt like Friday, but Sunday has come because he is risen. And we as a body of Christ, we've gathered together here to be reminded that no matter how dark that that may be, how much sorrow we may feel that we are going through in our own personal lives, it is only Friday, but Sunday is coming because he's promised never to leave us and forsake us. He is with us. I ask, Pastor James, come with me, would you please? Who has not received one of the communion cups? Raise your hand. In the back. Thank you, Pastor James. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23-29 says this. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We have this symbol. Tonight, this, this piece of bread that we hold in our hands that represents the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we eat this, we remember what Jesus has done for us in his body, what he has accomplished. He took our pain. He took our punishment. 
He took the beating that we deserved. And through it, He provided healing for us in our physical bodies. And tonight when we eat this, we're saying, Lord, put your power in me. Thank you, Lord, for what you did for me. God, I want to live for you. You are the bread of life. Put your life in me, your healing in me. If you need a healing tonight, call on the name of Jesus Christ. Allow him to heal you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't we pray over this? Lord, we love you, and we thank you, God, that we can practice this. You gave us this ordinance, Lord, to remember your death until you come. Lord, we thank you so much for this bread that we hold in our hands, but we ask you that you would bless it, Lord. We pray, God, that you would fill us with your life. You are the bread of life. Lord, tonight as we eat this, God, we feel that life entering into us. And Lord, every cell and every piece of us, Lord, is coming together and being renewed and being restored and being healed in the name of Jesus. By your stripes, we are healed. And so, Lord, we thank you for this and ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us eat together. Verse 26 says, for whoever eats his bread and drinks his cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord. In an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats his bread and drinks this cup. We prayed before we ate that bread. We're going to pray before we drink this cup. This is a symbol of the blood of Christ. Quite a few years ago, the movie The Passion of Christ came out. I can remember renting a theater out for as many people as we could get into it. We bought hundreds of tickets as a church. But I can remember also that we probably had a dozen extra tickets that night that we were not able to use. So I stood in front of that movie theater and I said, does anybody want to see a movie for free? I got a ticket for you. They, they may have not had a clue what they were walking into. But they took those tickets. And I can remember when that movie was shown, The Beating of Christ, I could hear people in that audience weeping. It was almost unbearable to watch. But God's Word tells us in Isaiah that it was worse than what we could even imagine because he was beaten to the point that you could not recognize who he was. That's love. And out of that love, when he was on that cross, and he said it was finished. It wasn't finished, the issue of the crucifixion and his death. It was finished, the redemptive work for the salvation of mankind. The right sacrifice was found. The Lamb of God. I celebrate my salvation. 
not because of the beauty and the fullness of it. I celebrate it as well because what it cost, the death of Jesus Christ. And for that, I am grateful. And on this Good Friday, I stand before you with a grateful heart and remembering. Heavenly Father, I cannot imagine what it must have been like for you to see your son go through such torment. I can't imagine what was going on in the glories of heaven. The angelic host just looking at you and saying, wondering, please send us. We will rescue him. But you knew that there had to be a lamb that was worthy to be slain for the sins of mankind. And it was your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, I thank you. When you were in that garden, even though you knew what was coming, you even have that insight to let this cup pass. But then you said, thy will be done. We thank you for your loving, compassionate heart for us this day. And Holy Spirit, we thank you because you are the winds of the 21st century that is blowing. That you're calling for the church to rise up. To be that redeemed, blood-bought body of Christ who is serving you declaring it is through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, Lord, that we are able to overcome. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may partake. Would you stand with me a moment? Would you continue to play, Pastor Anthony, please? I'm going to ask you to do something which is hard for you because I know how much you love each other. You could talk to each other in a parking lot or something, go hide behind a car, I don't know. But as you leave the church, I want you to leave in reverence and in quietness and remembering knowing that it is Friday, but Sunday is coming. It's Friday. And Jesus said, it is finished. But Sunday is coming. It's Friday. And death has won. But Sunday is coming. It is Friday and Satan is laughing. Sunday's coming. It is Friday and Mary is crying, but Sunday is coming. It is Friday and the disciples are hiding, but Sunday is coming. It is Friday and Jesus' grave is sealed, but Sunday is coming.
It is Friday. And our own hope may be dry and dead. But Sunday is coming. It is Friday. And our world is in chaos. But Sunday is coming. It is Friday. And you may be broken, my dear friends, but I want you to know that Sunday is coming. It is Friday, and our world is shaken, but Sunday is coming. It is Friday, and our families are hurting, but Sunday is coming. It is Friday, and the church is praying, because we know that Sunday has come. And it is Friday, and the church is rising because Sunday has come, because our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, has risen from the dead. So we celebrate it, but we remember that there was a cost. And he asked us as well to take up our cross that we will walk worthy of that calling of the death of Jesus Christ.